If you're a boomer, wondering what to do with all this unstructured time on your hands? Well, join host Chuck Inman and Ron Hostry as they share with boomers how to be your best on your next journey by finding your passion, choosing your adventure, and igniting your activity. And now, stay tuned for The Adventures of Unstructured Time. Good morning, Ron Hostry here on 21.6 of the Net, your daily dose of encouragement. I'm excited to be a part of launching a new show and hosting with a good friend, The Adventures of Unstructured Time. You know, there are many shows out there for people that are retiring or nearing retirement or have actually made the leap that deal with the financial aspects and the financial planning of estate planning to pass your fortune on to your heirs. But this show's different. This is a show about what you do with your daily life, with the time that you now have available to make a difference in the world. In the studio today with me is Chuck Inman, who's the host of the show. And Chuck, we've been longtime friends, but people don't know about what an extensive background you have in the corporate world and in the things that you do in your life. Good morning. Well, good morning, Ron. I'm delighted to be here. I'm just so excited about this opportunity with this show about adventures with unstructured time. I had, I had a marvelous career. I had an opportunity to do so many things. I started off manufacturing uh, products, medical products, and then actually going out in the field selling them and then getting into marketing and being able to launch them, uh, not only domestically but internationally had a chance to globally train product managers and, and marketing techniques around the world. It was just so much fun, but I realized my, my time was pretty structured doing all of that. And now when you get a point where you know you retire and you say, now what do I do with all this time that isn't quite as structured as I had? So that's the premise of, of this program and what we're going to cover. Well, out of all those experiences, you were putting a number of different roles in corporations. And some of that had to do with leadership and training. And what did you learn out of those experiences? Well, it's, that's a great question. The, we would find at times that we would have people that would get promoted into a new position, like a salesperson getting promoted into a district manager. And he was a top salesperson, but just struggled with being able to lead a group of salespeople. And the same thing with product managers who would get promoted into a product management role and they had all the responsibility, but they didn't have the authority. They had to go out and utilize their, their self-leadership to get others to follow them. So that was fascinating as we you know, watched and, and taught others how to, you know, first of all, learn self-leadership, because if you can't lead yourself, other people aren't going to follow you, but then taking that to the next step on how do you lead others. And then from there, we started working on a program for emotional intelligence and, and working on some things on on dealing with empathy and, and being more effective and, and understand how your body responds during stressful times and so forth. In all of that experience, all of that culminated and you're looking at things in your life to do to help offset some of that stress. Some of that included uh, taking backtrack packing trips, uh, guiding people in the mountains, that type of thing. What did you learn from those experiences that now will come into this next journey in your life? That's, <laughs> that's funny you mentioned that because it, 
in the corporate world was some of the things that, that I was responsible for. I found that I could, if I went anywhere, the corporation would track me down. I mean, it's, they would fax you, they would text you. That, and, and I realized the one place that they couldn't get me was back in the wilderness. So I took a course and became a wilderness guide. And so in the summers, I could get away for a week or two. And they'd say, but if we need to get you, how do we get you? I said, you don't. You don't need to reach me. It's under control. But my people have it under control. I said, if you need me, you need to hire a Wrangler to ride two days in, or you need to bring a helicopter in. But I said, I'll see you when I come back out of the wilderness. So that was one of the <laughs> great peace of mind things. <laughs> and you had a lot of experience with people who are surgeons, doctors. I mean, you're not a medical professional. However, you witnessed, what, 13,000 cataract surgeries in the, a line of your work? Oh, I've, I've sold microscopes for, for the operating room. I've seen brain surgeries, neurosurgery. I've seen cardiac, you know, open heart surgery. I've seen quite a bit of it. I like the cataract because there wasn't the blood that there was <laughs> in some of the other ones. But it's being able to deal, I think, one of the things with the emotional intelligence programs that we that we taught was learning how to deal with, with people in very stressful situations. And I guarantee you, surgery is a very stressful, it's a very stressful situation when you've got somebody on the table and things aren't going right. Now, one of the backbones of this show is the fact that there are a number of people that because of their age and a certain group that they're in are facing one of the most stressful times of their life. And that's coming to the point of retirement or what to do at the, after they get the, the gold watch. Tell me a little bit about the situation that created the need and the passion that you have for this show. One of that was, was studying and looking at, uh, at my own career as it was winding down. What did I want to do? I, you know, and I, I wanted to continue working and, and helping people and, and doing things, which is part of the training background that I had of, of training product managers and helping people. But the other part, I was looking at the demographics uh, that's going on in the United States now. And it's, you know, baby boomers, you know, born between 1946 and 1964. You know, they started turning 65 uh, in about 2011. And right now, today, there's 10,000 baby boomers a day turning age 65. And out of that group, you know, 63% want to keep working. Now, half, some of them it's because they want to, some of them because they have to. They haven't laid enough around for retirement. But of those, there's, there's a group, there's about 57% that want to go do something different. But only 19% of that group has gone and done anything different. And I want to work with that group that hasn't figured out what they want to do yet. It's kind of like being the wilderness guide. I want to lead them through on their next adventures that help them have a dynamic journey. So if we look at, at a person's life and an analogy to a football game, the first quarter of your life, you're sitting there and you're looking at learning. You're going to practice. You're learning the plays. You're learning the social skills. The second quarter of your life, so to speak, and not necessarily a chronological quarter, but the next phase of your life, as you have the success portion of your life, that you're creating your wealth, you're creating your family, you're moving into the house, you're, you're doing all the things in cor corporate America that make you successful. When you ask people how long they're gonna live, what's a typical answer? About 90? They're looking today, the statistics are about 85 to 90. 85 to 90. Yeah, they say 70 is the new 40. Okay, so <laughs> now, if we take the 85, the people 
anticipated living, and back down to age 65, there are 20 years between the time that they hit the age of 65, and many people look at that as retirement age, and age 80 or 85, that they need to do something. Right. What part of their, what part of their life after they're done with success comes next? It's finding that sense of purpose. And here's, here's a couple of things that, that once people start to hit that, that age 60 to 65 range, here's some of the problems that they encounter. You know, one is a l- lack of social interaction. You know, a lack of purpose. You know, they feel they've reached their peak and they're no longer needed. Or they have a disconnection from society. And then there's, there's just boredom, you know, and, and depression that can apply. So it's finding out, you know, so you've been successful. That's how you've measured, you know, your importance on earth. It's like, so now what do you do at this point? And that's when we start to talk about, you know, the significant aspect of things. What is significance versus success? The difference between success and significance. Wow, that's a great concept. Now, you had a little story about Alice. Uh, tell us about that. I, I love this quote from, from Lewis Carroll. He said, one day Alice came to a fork in the road and saw a Cheshire cat in a tree. Which road do I take, she asked. Where do you want to go, was his response. I don't know, Alice answered. And then the cat said, it doesn't matter. Lewis Carroll from Alice in Wonderland. And that's like retirement. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter which direction you go. But once you start to have a sense of purpose, then things start, you can start to work with the tools that'll help you get to where you want to go and make that sense of purpose. You can magnify and justify what you're doing. So then when I look at the programs that we're going to be looking at at the future that you're going to be hosting in the future, where's your focus on that? Well, it, our focus is, is understanding what we just, we've just been talking about, about success versus significance. And under, you know, just getting a good feel for that sense of purpose. And, and from that, we start to understand once we figure out that uh, significance and the role that that plays, then we start saying, okay, let's pick our adventure. Let's, you know, find our passion first and then choose our adventure and then ignite our activity. And it sounds simple, but there's a lot of tools that you have to kind of get comfortable with to be able to make that happen. Because sometimes we have default behaviors that don't allow us to move in the direction that we want. Or there's you know, old habits that we have that we have to change. Those aren't easy things to do. So we, we'll be working on all of those things to make sure we move in the right direction. Tell, tell me the effects of default behaviors, uh, the, the routines that people put into place. Well, actually, before we do that, I think we need to talk a little bit about how the brain works, and because that that will give us some insight on where these default behaviors come from. Think back on a on a hot summer day growing up, you know, and, and you'd go down to the store, whether it was a Seven Eleven, a Circle K, or you know, Dairy Queen, and you'd get a, either a, a Slurpee or a Freezy or an ice cream cone and just start gobbling that thing down. And, oh, it tasted so good because it was so hot. Then all of a sudden, you'd get this, this brain freeze. And the, right in the middle of your head, it hurt so bad. And you could, for 20 seconds, you've had both hands in the middle of your forehead trying to get it to stop, and it wouldn't work. We all remember that. And I call that a chemical brain freeze, where it's just excruciating. Well, that's a physical event that happens because of 
just the coldness in the roof of your mouth, what it does to your, your arteries and capillaries. We won't go into too much more detail on that, but we've all experienced that. And even as we get older, we can experience that with, you know, frozen margaritas and what have you. But at least as we're older and wiser, maybe as grandparents, you know, we don't, we don't swear in front of the grandkids, but it's still just as painful <laughs> as when we were kids. But that's, 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 a, um, that's a slurpy brain freeze. Now, the other part of the brain and the way it works, there's a, a part of the brain called the amygdala. And it is, it's one, it's like your, your sensor to, to keep you alive. It, it's like a radar beam that's just looking all around to see anything out of order. And if it sees something that's not right, it'll go beep, 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 and give you a warning. Well, when it starts to shut down and go into action, it will shut you down and make you just as incapacitated as that slurpy brain freeze that you had. And through the shows, we're going to go into that detail quite a bit because whenever that amygdala is uncomfortable, and that's, that's a pretty big word, and we'll, we'll cover that also, but when it starts to get excited, activated, it's responsible for you know flee, fight, or freeze. And so when it's uncomfortable, it'll go into those. And if there's things that you've, been told that you can't do and you start to reach out and try and do those your amygdala will, will warn you and say hey hey you were told when you were younger you can't do that and that's where you know those default behaviors come from you say well I can't do that I don't know how someone told me I couldn't do it or I can't get started those are all things that the amygdala will tell you how to do that and those are the default behaviors and that's also we'll talk about how that affects the old habits breaking them into new habits you know, it's, it's, you know, we talk about, you know, we want to lose weight. That's an easy one everybody can relate to. And yet we don't change our habits and we expect the weight to just drop off. It's not always quite that easy. Well, one of the things that I'm taking from what you're saying here, Chuck, is that when you reach the age of retirement, you've built a whole life of building default behaviors. You respond the same way to a crisis or action that you've done forever. And now you're in a situation where there's an unknown. Unknown is generally fear. It stimulates that portion of your brain. But we have an opportunity to retrain. and We have the freedom to retrain how we're going to respond to those. Right. Is that, am I reading you right on that? You're right, and that sounds very simple, but one of the things that we used to do with training, and I'll just give you an example of how default behaviors work and how the, the part of the brain, the amygdala, how that works, is we would have a training session, like a two-day training session. So the first morning we'd go in, first thing we'd do is go and introduce yourself to someone you don't know. I mean, people would kind of look around, and you could tell the amygdala was going, warning, warning, you know, something's wrong here. <laughs> And so everybody got comfortable. They'd be at their tables. And then after lunch, we'd come back and say, all right, everybody move to a separate table where you haven't been sitting before. And people would just, I mean, it, it upset them. I mean, it's like we're just getting comfortable. And if you think, wow, that's, you know, that's a little bit out there. It's, it's like here's a simple exercise. Cross your arms like you normally do. Okay? Now, uncross them, and now cross them the way you normally do. And that freaks people out, too, just trying to cross their arms in a different way. That's default behaviors that we have. That's an interesting concept yeah. because I find that when I hit something new, a problem, a situation, I react the same way I did when I was about eight years old sometimes. Exactly. I get angry. I yell. 
I avoid, I walk off. And it's not really acceptable when you're trying to make changes in your life. Right. And, and we'll talk about change and the aspect that change has on things too. But, but, and here's one of the interesting things when we talk about getting to that point of leaving the corporate world or leaving our, our, our business world, our success area. You know, we've, we've defined that by, you know, what we've accomplished, what we've done, and how other people perceive and, and view that. And here was an interesting thing Charles Garfield wrote in the book, Peak Performance, where he studied athletes and so forth. And, and one of the great things that he had talked about in the, in the book, he said, you know, ask people what they do for a living, and they'll talk to you for hours. Ask them why they do that for a living, and it'll hang them up. It's, I mean, and, and we realize we've done that our entire life. We've gone after maybe not knowing why. Maybe it's pleasing others or values of others. But then when we get a chance to go start our second act, our second journey, we can choose what we want to do to make that happen. We got to do a little bit of searching to make sure we get down to you know, the right path on where we want to go. Well, th that brings us to the, the first point of this journey. Because you can't go on a journey unless you have some basics behind you. Finding your passion. When we're in the corporate world, the passion was generally the, either the P&L or a certain sales number or that type of thing that we had. And it was pretty much structured for us or we were the people that created it. Our identity was tied to our title, our position, and in many cases, our budget. Right. I mean, you had a $19 million advertising budget you controlled. But now you're home. You've got the gold watch. You might be very financially well off. But you don't know what that next passion is. Is part of finding the significance in your life taking the time to find out what that passion is? Well, that is. I mean, you know, and, and we'll go back and review. You know, if we look at the success side that we look at, it's all about, you know, uh, acquiring things, you know, impressing others where, you know, having the right house with the right zip code, buying the right car, you know, sending your kids to the best schools and, and so forth. And, and that's how we measure, you know, who we are and, and, and our successes by acquiring things. And, but then when we start looking at significance, it's having an impact on others. And hopefully it's a positive impact on others. And that takes a little bit more, you know, searching and, and working on that because there's a, there's a lot to take a look at on, you know, how do you shift that focus from being about you to being about helping others? And, and there's some work that goes on with that because, and then once you have that, start to figure that out, then you can start to focus on the passion side of things. But it's having a good understanding of that. And we're going to talk about that quite a bit during the shows too. Well, one of the things that when we were talking uh, about uh, your friend Richard, mm -hmm. and Richard had a story about a sense of purpose and that type of thing. And I found it really interesting. Well, share that with me. Well, it's it, he's an amazing man. Richard Chanowski uh, worked with him for 15 years, traveled around the world with him uh, teaching classes. And he uh, would teach brand loyalty and to our product managers and, and branding and advertising. And it was so much fun. He's a fourth-degree black belt. And so he and he was a naval <laughs> airline pilot. I mean, he considered... That would make you want to listen. <laughs> exactly. And he... Um, he, he's, he considers himself a warrior, 
and that was his, his thing all along was and that's why he he worked and trained and as he's getting at that retirement age instead of uh becoming more uh working on more things he's turned around he's teaching martial arts to more and more people and i used to really enjoy that when we would be traveling like in prague you know we climbed up the steps going up to the the palace and and we'd find a place in the park where we would actually work on he would show me different martial arts things like don bone the short stick japanese fighting every time i was with him he'd teach me something different and new but we were talking about this one time and and uh, I said, you know, I, I really, you know, you're, you're talking about teaching, you know, others in the martial arts and, and doing things is interesting. I said, because that's significant. It's not success based on what you do alone, but the success of you helping others. And the more we talk, he said, that's fat. He said, you know, I'd like to write some of that. Would you mind if I wrote, wrote that up for your book? And I said, would love it. And he said, how much I, how much you want me to write? I said, you can write a paragraph, you can write a chapter. And he got into it and wrote an entire chapter on it. It was fascinating. Well, you referred to the book. Uh, tell us about the book, the process, and what the book is and, and why it exists. Well, it's, I'll start, I'm going to start way back with my grandson. <laughs> he was about two and a half years old. And what was sitting, had him on my lap, and I was showing him his mom's hiking stick when she was a young, young girl. And we would go to Colorado and spend some time with my grandparents, or my, my parents, her grandparents, retired out there. And they had a little farm with um, apple trees and cherry trees, a little stream running through it, and they had some sheep. And, and she just thought that was, you know, the girls thought that was so much fun. I've got two daughters. And so at the end of each summer, I'd take their hiking stick and I'd carve a ring around the bottom of the hiking stick to represent all the adventures that we had had. Because we'd go up to the mining towns, we'd go fishing, and hiking and so forth and I was telling him about you know these adventures that we would do and he grabbed the hiking stick and said Papa we go venture and he <laughs> headed for the front door and so I took off I thank go, God he didn't have Richard's martial arts training <laughs> he could have been smacked to death <laughs> exactly but he takes off the, out the front door and heads down the sidewalk and and I'm watching him walking down the sidewalk with this big hiking stick and he his hand is about a foot or so from the handhold as he's walking down the sidewalk. He doesn't have a care in the world, has nothing holding him back. You can tell there's no default behaviors or anything. And he's just on venture. He's just going venture. Not even sure he knew what it meant, but it meant you had a hiking stick in your hand and you went out walking. And as I watched him and took a picture of him and then I watched him, I said, what else do I want to do? What else? I've done, a, I've done a lot. I've traveled to 40 different countries and have a couple of patents and, you know, done all sorts of wild things like that. But it's like, what else can I do? And that's where I started thinking about uh, making some jerky. and something I always wanted to do, but I was told I couldn't do it. And so I just said, well, maybe I'll look into that. And so I started trying to see if I could make jerky. And, stuff, and that was more difficult than I anticipated. But, and, but that's where the whole name of Adventure Jerky that you're going to hear about you know, come up is uh, because of my grandson and his adventures of making jerky. And then I realized there's, there's a couple of ways that you can go with it, with that. One is fuel for the body, which is the jerky side. The other is fuel for the mind. And so that's where the name of the book came up, Adventure Jerky, Be Your Best on Your Next Journey. And that's where, um, and on the cover is, is Rainer. He became our, our registered trademark logo for that. And so I wrote this book on how do you find your passion? How do you walk through 
and you know pick you know what adventures do you pick you know what journeys do you want to go on so i wrote the book with that in mind and then i also wrote a guidebook that allows you to and it follows the book but it goes through step-by-step exercises where you can actually lay out and write and you know work side by side with them to help people say hey you know what's my next journey going to be and how i how can i make it the best and what tools do i need to get there well one of the things that i've noticed with people that are reaching the age of this transition. They're leaving either their business, they've sold their business, they sold their corporation, or they've been an employee and just get to the point that they've worked so hard, they're so involved with their job that they've done no planning for that next 20 years of their life. Oh, what's interesting about that, I've talked with financial planners who said the most difficult thing they have is people will come in and say, hey, we, you know, couples will come in and say, you know, we want to start planning for retirement. Of course, the first question the financial planner asks, what are you going to do in retirement? And I said, most time couples just look at each other. They hadn't thought that far ahead on what they want to do in retirement. Yeah, or there's the ones that say, oh, I love to fish, I'm going to go fish. I love golf, I'm going to play golf. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I learned very early on, there are only so many holes of golf there are only so many episodes of gun smoke. <laughs> there are only so many things that you can do on a repetitive basis where after about four to six months of that, they're looking, that isn't filling what they're looking to fill in their life. Uh, what are some of the struggles about actually identifying one of the passion or what your passion and purpose is? Well, it's, you know, it, and it's interesting when you talked about, you know, after that six month period, that's when you start to see the boredom and the depression start to come in because it's like, and so part of finding, you know, that passion is understanding that sense of purpose that you have. And so when you start to look at the passion side, and you're going to hear me say this I'll probably on every single program we do, <laughs> there is magic in writing things down. And once you start writing, it's, it's, it's magical. That's, I wrote down, I remember I wrote down one time, I said, I want to travel internationally. Two weeks later, I got a call for an international product manager position. And from there, <laughs> I traveled over 40 different countries. So I truly believe in writing it down. But one of the things when you start looking at your passion, you know, and they talk about, you know you're getting close to your passion when you can't differentiate between work and play. But you start writing down, what are some of the, and, and I think one of the things you start writing down, what are some of your goals that you want? You know, what are some of your dreams? What are some of your goals? And write down anything on dreams. It doesn't cost you anything to dream. You can dream about anything. But then you start looking, okay, out of all those dreams, are those based on my values or other people's values? And you realize that now that you're looking at significance instead of success, you don't have to follow other people's values. You can follow your own values. And so you can start walking through and saying, okay, this is a dream I don't need to, I don't need on my list anymore. I don't need this one. I don't need this one. But here's some goals that go, if I'm thinking about a sense of purpose and a passion, I like this because this is something I enjoy doing. There's a, uh, a gentleman that I work with that, not I work with, I work out, and he, he's a, one of the maintenance guys at the fitness club, and he retired from Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad. And he works, he works three days, four hours a day uh, during the week, and it's just for a travel budget for he and his wife. And I, I talked with him about, I gave him some packets of jerky, and then I you know, gave him the, the book and the, the, 
guidebook just to get a response from him. And very gregarious guy. He went through both of those, and he came back and said, you know what? He said, that, that's the first time I've written stuff down like that. And he said, one of the things that I want to do is I'm going to use the money from what uh, I'm making here in the travel fund. We're going to spring training in Scottsdale for the White Sox. He's a big White Sox fan. And he said, I want to sell the programs. I just love interacting with people and selling the programs and just being part of spring training and do that for a couple of weeks and, and just have a blast with that. But he said, but while I'm out there, when I come back, I realize one of the passions I had was remembering, you know, reading to my mom and playing music for my mom when she was in a nursing home and how the, the people would gather around when I'd sing to my mom. They'd come. He said, I'm going to tune up my guitar. And he said, I'm going to go around in the community here and just talk to them. Can I come in and play in the afternoons or the evenings or what have you? He said, I so enjoyed that. And I realized that's something I truly enjoy doing. So that, you know, it's kind of funny because I, there's a song out by Darius Rucker right now. And one of the lines of the song is, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Right. And as we come to this point in our lives of transitioning, so one of the default behaviors that we get into is that I have to make a living. Right. I have to do this. Uh, and, and you're driven by the default behavior that says, everything I do, I have to be paid for. Right. Being significant doesn't mean you're going after the money at first. Right. If you're good and you find your passion, the money will come find you. Right. But, but uh, that's what, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, probably next show where we start talking about fear and, th and why fear causes a lot of default behaviors. But we'll look at that too. So how do people get started with this process? Again, it's, it's you know, writing, you know, getting things written down and, and understanding where you want to go. Because there, I guarantee you, whenever you start off on an adventure or journey, something's going to happen. I mean, you will make mistakes. You fix those mistakes. You know, you will get confused. If you've got it written down, it's a little bit easier to stay on track when you have it written down. You know, you will have relationships that aren't as good as you would like them to be, and you need to work on those relationships. Just this past week, I was in, in Florida and was doing some video blogs in a kayak. And that was the first time for me doing a video blog in a moving kayak on a river. <laughs> and it had more technicalities <laughs> to it than I could imagine. And it was t talking about, you know, some of the, the things that could happen to you. And it actually had a big boat come in behind us, which was great. We caught it on the on the video. But we had the big wakes that we had to deal with where I didn't you know, just run, you know, slam into the person that was filming. <laughs> thing. But when we talk about relationships and, and we're, we have difficult relationships that we want to repair, we don't know how to get started. There are three words that work just as great as a good paddle on a kayak. Help me understand. Help me understand what you're going through. Help me understand what I can do to improve our relationship. Those three words are as good as a, good as a paddle. And so forth. But those things are going to happen. And, and so many times, if, you know, I think, you know, if you, when I would go, go into the wilderness, you know, you'd come around a trail. If there was a rock slide, you didn't turn around and go home. I mean, you figured out, okay, how do we get around this? Can we, is there anything we can move? Do we have to blaze a trail through the side of the woods to get back around it? Mm -hmm. But you didn't turn around and go home. So many times we get obstacles that happen to us, we stop and go home. Well, you know what? A, a good adventure is you don't quit till you get to where you're going. So that 
brings us back to, to getting started. Maybe one of the first things is asking yourself, help me understand what I'm going through now. Right. And taking the journal out and start writing in the journal. Oh, I, I think, you know, if, if you do just daily writings, it's, you'll be amazed at what happens. And when you start thinking about, you know, your sense of purpose and, and your passion and you're writing down your goals and your dreams and you, you weed out those goals and dreams, but you do it by, by writing in your journal. And, and we'll, we'll do some, um, we'll have some discussions on the difference between writing and using, you know, typing it out. There's actually, there's some interesting uh, neurological work that goes on about how it's better to write it out and and find it you know and, and again that's changing habits find a quiet place to go write and work on your dreams and your goals and kind of work on what you want to do and then if you're married you know with your spouse sit down together and say okay so if we did this in retirement what would this look like and you've each got a guidebook that you can walk through it's amazing how things start to come together and you've got a plan where you know where you're going but if you don't know where you're going it's kind of like getting on the river without a paddle or, just, or if you've got a pa- just paddling, you know, just paddling away and you have no clue where you're going, you have no clue where you're going to wind up. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a paddle, you've got a plan, you can do all sorts of things and make it happen. The show is titled The Adventures of Unstructured Time. Yeah. How do people get to an understanding of what adventure means to them? Because everyone's different. For some guys, adventure is discount bungee jumping. <laughs> <laughs> You know, to others, adventure might be uh, going to a local redwood forest or a port. Uh, how do people get to the point of understanding what they're, what is adventure to them? Well, I think part of that is understanding what you would like your journey to be. Because when you look at adventures, and adventures don't all have to be epic. You can, you can have a series of smaller adventures, but if you realize, here's my journey I want to take, it's these smaller adventures that are going to get me there. And so it's, it start, it's having that overall plan, having that nailed down, and then you start to work with that. But one of the keys there is you've got to you know, ignite that activity and make that happen. And sometimes we go through all this planning and everything else, then we take our journal and we stick it on a shelf in the back room, and we wind up getting bored and depressed, and we don't know why. It's like we didn't finish. We didn't ignite our activity. One of the things that we get to this point in our life, and I've noticed that I have the opportunity to say yes to things more, mm. but I've also given myself the freedom to, after a period of time, say, no, that doesn't fit my passion. Right. What freedoms do people now have in their life? And what should they go try? Well, it, it's interesting. There's a, there's a word called cognitive dissonance. And it's, you know, it's a big, big, it's not one word, but it's a phrase, cognitive <laughs> dissonance. And, you know, we had talked a little bit earlier about values and, and what we do with our values and our, you know, values and what we work on when we're looking at success versus values when we're looking on significance. And I remember one morning I was driving to work. I was driving down the freeway. I just got a new promotion and, you know, I had, you know, was kind of wondering what I was going to be doing and and uh, getting ready to turn off the exit to head into work, and, and I'm going, you know, I should just be ecstatic. I mean, this is a this higher than ever thought I'd get in the corporate world. And I'm going, what I really want to do is open up the sunroof, and uh, throw on some ZZ Top and go flying down, <laughs> down the highway. <laughs> because what I would been doing in the in that part of the corporate world, it was based 
more on values, you know, you, because you get judged by your parents, you get judged by your peers, your, your family, your spouse, and everything else on how successful you are being measured to others. And I'm thinking, I'm heading in a direction that I really don't want to go. It's not based on my values and stuff. And, you know, and, and in that particular case, I enjoyed more working with people. And I knew where I was headed. I was going to be working more with the finance, the numbers, and those things. And I said, I would rather go work with the people side. So I, 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 I told him, I said, hey, I'll do this for two years. But then I want this global marketing position because I knew the guy was retiring. I'll go, and they had some problems. They asked me to come in and do this, and it was a nice promotion for me. I said, I'll redo the ad campaigns for the products, and we'll get this thing turned around and rolling. But at two years, I want you to uphold your promise to me that I can take over. And they actually, they came through, and I was allowed to do that. And then I got over working with the people side, and I love that part. So it's, you know, it's that cognitive dissonance on, you know, how do you go? And it's looking at, like you said, you have a chance to say no, because if it's not based on your values, why, why would you want to waste time on that? If it's based on your values, lined up on your adventures, lined up on your journey and where you're going, then it's easy to say yes. But if you don't know where you're headed, you know, it's like you get to that, that fork in the trail. It's like, well, do I go left or right? You know, it's like, uh, Carol said, <laughs> you know, if you don't know where you're going, you can take any road and where you head. So, Well, one of the things that I've noticed and going through this process is that I've done a lot of things out of guilt where people have told me that I have the time I should do it. And I've done a lot of things out of gladness. And that's helped me orient toward what my passions are. Right. Because there are times that you do things because people put your pressure on you. They say there's a need, you have the ability to fill it, but it's not in your wheelhouse. We have the freedom now to say no. Right. Do we exercise it? Do, do most people exercise it or do they just, go, oh, got to go make the donuts kind of thing? Right. And, it's, and a lot of times I would say the majority of people, they almost feel like they're, they're browbeaten to go do it. And that's when you come up with where you're headed, where you're going. You realize why this is important for me not to do this. And it may be a great job opportunity for someone else mm-hmm. to, to do that <laughs> one. So you don't want to stand in the way of letting someone else be successful. <laughs> and you go do something just a little bit differently. I think one of the best phrases that's come along my way that I have either plagiarized, parroted, or copied <laughs> is, you know, that's a really good cause but it's just not my cause. Right. And you don't know that until you've experimented to find out that that doesn't fit with your purpose or your passion. Right. The first part of the journey then that we look at is, is taking the time, the effort, and giving ourselves the freedom to find what our purpose and passion is. Exactly. It's, you know, I, I think that's, Again, it's going back to the um, under, you know, understanding what you would like to accomplish, where you want to go, and then taking the time because you'll have some time now, write it down. I mean, just start writing. There's magic in writing. You know, my goals and dreams. What were my goals and dreams as a kid? What were my goals and dreams, you know, after, after school? You know, midway through my career, what were my goals and dreams? How many of those did I accomplish? Did I need to accomplish all of those? And then you just start writing, you know, saying, okay, what are the ones that are based upon my values and, and what I wanted to do? I know my mom, she always said, oh, I wish I could be a weather woman on a horse. 
I go right up to the top of the hill and look and say, uh-oh, clouds coming in. Looks like a storm. And then ride down and warn everybody. <laughs> that was her dream. She didn't really want to be a weather person on TV, but that was, you know, that wasn't a goal of hers, but that was her dream. It's a, I always, I could come riding, riding down on the horse and warn everybody there's lightning storm coming or <laughs> snowstorm. <laughs> and, that, and that's fine to think about those, but you have a time to weed them out now because we don't have, you know, 70 years in front of us like we did when we were younger. So time becomes a little bit important. So what are the important things that we want to do? Now, was the name of her horse Lightning? <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> well, that gets us to the point about choosing your adventure. Right. Of the process that you go through to choose the direction that you want to go in. That also comes to a trial and error type mm. of situation also, doesn't it? Well, it does. But if you have an understanding of where your journey, where you want your journey to take you, then it gets a little bit easier picking your adventures because you know, is this going to help me on this journey or is this going to deviate me? And that's fine. You can have some adventures that will deviate you. Just don't let them take you off course long term. And so that's why the more you map out, the more you have you know, written down that magic that happens when you write it down. It's like then if you get confused, you've got it written down and you know how to get yourself back on track. You talked about earlier about big adventures, small adventures. Mm -hmm. How do you look at those? Oh, I think a, a big adventure is when you go in the wilderness for two weeks. That's, that's a pretty big adventure, you know. Um, and I think a small adventure is when you go kayaking with your grandkids. You know, those are some of the different things that have completely different connotations. So they don't all have to be epic, you know. It's, uh, you know, part of it could be, I want to make sure that I spend quality time with my grandkids. So the significance of a small journey can be just as significant as a great adventure. Exactly. exactly. Because it comes down to, on your adventure to be significant, it should have an impact on others. Right. Exactly. So, and it's just, but it's making sure that you ignite that activity. You know, that's, that's one of the things that, um, you know, we talk about if, if we don't, you know, ignite, you know, and, and the de I love the definition of ignite, to set on fire, to kindle, to take fire, begin to burn. I mean, it's, you've got to make it happen. And so, you know, when you look at some of the, the things that, that happened, I had a friend who had a goal that she wanted to live by the beach. She grew up by the beach, and she spent 35, 34, 35 years in Texas, and she goes, when I move, I'm heading to the beach. And about two years before her retirement, she started researching which places she wanted to, to move to, and and she got a hold of a realtor and, and started looking at places and doing more research and finally found a you know brand new home that was just being finished, a spec home, and, and looked. And she wound up buying it about you know eight months before she was ready to move. And she, that's where she moved down to. And she can sit on her front porch and hear the surf you know, and the ocean. Is that, that, I mean, that, that's awesome. That's, that's the difference between a dream and a goal. She actually, you know, my mom had, you know, had this dream of being the weather lady on the horse. But this person had the dream of actually, you know, being where she could be right on the, on the, on the beach. And, and uh, she made it happen. Well, my father-in-law worked his entire life. He was in a door manufacturing company. He did auto mechanic work for a dealership. He had a number of different professions and jobs that he had during his career. And he was always going to take a trip to Alaska when he retired. Mm hmm well, unfortunately, he didn't retire. He uh, got emphysema and never took the trip to Alaska. He never ignited the action to fulfill that portion of his dream. Right. 
Joan and I, for our 30th wedding anniversary, decided we were going to take that trip. And we said, we're going to take the trip your dad didn't take. And started igniting action very early in our life, which got us into a habit of igniting action when we had a lot more time available to us when we both left the workplace. Part of the igniting the action means you have to proactively go out and do something. Right. You have to suit up and show up to make it happen. Exactly. You know, I think a, a great example of that is when you look at Indiana Jones. You know, you look at what we've been talking <laughs> about. You know, uh, find your passion, choose your adventure, then ignite your activity. Well, in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, his passion was archaeology and anthropology. I mean, that's what, you know, he, he taught at an Ivy League school. I mean, and that was what he enjoyed doing. But the adventure that he chose, they were looking for the Ark of the Covenant back right before World War II. And that was something that he was, he wanted to be in charge of that, that hunt. And so the third thing that he looked at was igniting his activity. And his old girlfriend, he thought that she had a, a missing piece that would be valuable in finding where that, where that treasure was. So he hopped on a plane, flew across the Pacific to Kathmandu. I mean, that's just a, a simple, great example of, you know, how do you make these things happen? There he went right there and made that happen. And did he find it? He did at the very end. Yep. Mm -hmm. He didn't quit till he got there. I mean, that's, you look at that adventure, all the ups and downs and everything that happened to him. And, and, uh, and Well, yeah, there were a lot of obstacles to that. Exactly. Every time he stepped off a plane, there was some guy with knives and swords and <laughs> snakes and rats and, and everything. But he always went forward. Right. Going with the passion. Mm -hmm. But he didn't always plan what hap would happen next. But he, he knew that he would respond to it. Right. He, he knew what the, the goal in goal in mind was, so he just kept going until he got there. So you keep making the decisions to get yourself to your area of significance. Exactly. Exactly. So what keeps it per first I'd like to talk about. Let's go ahead and change this subject a second. It's hard. You've retired. You go home. You get into a comfortable routine. And there's no impetus to go through what we've talked about. Right. Now, you have developed something, a book and a workbook, that people can walk through that process. Right. To get to that. Right. To ask some basic questions to get people on, on the track of finding their passion, finding their adventures, and that type of thing. Uh, if they wanted to get a hold of you or get a hold of the book or whatever, what's the best way to contact you for that, Chuck? We've got a website, adventurejerky.com. You can click on that, and it talks about, uh, you know, it, all about, you know, who who the company is. We have a store where you can go. You can buy, you know, the book, the workbook. We've even got packages, bundle packages at some, some great pricing. You can even buy jerky, you know, something something to chew on while you're gaining some new insight. <laughs> and we've got some really great, it's not your, you know, big chewing, you know, jerky. It's, a, it's some gourmet jerky. It's some good stuff. But uh, and also, there's uh, the one of the, my second book that I wrote was Chemical Brain Freeze: How to Stay in the Game During Difficulty and Stress. And we'll talk about that on some of the shows too. But it's understanding the um, how the brain works and how default behaviors work and so forth, and how to create new habits. And once you start to understand that, guess what? It's easier to deal with your kids, easier to deal with your grandkids, 
because their brain works the same. It doesn't matter if you're three years old or if you're 67 years old, the brain works the same. And here's why that's important also is because for the first time, it may be the first time two of you are at home at the same time 24 seven. And you're going to see some some stressful situations <laughs> going on there. So the website's a great great one for that. They'll give just a bundle of information. Well, sometimes that doesn't work out real well, because I read a story of a guy retired. His wife was retired. He won a forty-six million dollar lottery. Called his wife up. Said, "Honey, start packing. I've won the lottery." She says, "Oh, where are we going?" says, I don't care. Just be out of the house by the time I get there. <laughs> and uh, there was a guy that didn't plan together exactly. how he was going to further those relationships. Right. And you, you'll see a lot of default behaviors come into play from that. You talk about default behaviors. Let's get a little bit into that in, in the last segment of this program. Chuck, tell me about, we talked about cognitive dissonance, the creating new habits. But... What's, how do you set aside a time to, to do this stuff? I, I think one of the things is, you know, creating new habits. It's, it's tough to do. It's, you, you know, what I do is I find a, a different, I've written, you know, four books. And each time I've written a book, I will go to a different place and, and sit and write. And I had a, uh, my one house when I wrote my first book had it upstairs deck and I would go up there and, and lock the little gate on there and I said okay I'm up here for 45 minutes I can write if I want to or not but I'm not coming down for 45 minutes I'd set a timer and I said well if I'm going to be sitting here might as well be doing something creative you know I didn't sit down and start writing I said okay if I only write two paragraphs that's a step in the right direction sometimes it's it's the little things that add up and if you just keep adding those things those building blocks they'll add up so if you've only got 20 minutes take 20 minutes to, to sit down and jot down you know and if you're writing like in a journal and you know you come to a point say okay this is all the time i have just jot down okay i want to explore these two or three things next time i sit down and write and it's just amazing how that magic of writing starts to get things happening but it's forcing yourself to do something if you sit down in front of the tv with you know dialing for dollars or <laughs> whatever's <laughs> on there or bowling for furniture you know it's like you're gonna you're, you're not going to be focused and just and when I write, when I do things, I'll, I will typically go for, for a half an hour and then I'll stop. I'll set the timer on the microwave if I'm in, inside uh, by the office and, uh, and I'll hear it beeping it you know, down away. And I said, okay, it's time to take it. And I'll get up and walk around and stretch and, and then go back and you know, set it. If I'm outside, I'll take my phone with me and set a timer and, and just and, and work with it. And it doesn't have to be epic you know, time frames. You know, people say, oh, I don't have time to do that. Well, you don't sit down and write a book in one day. You know, you don't sit down and map out a journey in one day. You know, it's just these little subtle things. And then you may say, you know what? I wonder what this means. I wonder what else I could learn about this. And you go as, you know, as I, I kid, you know, tease my kids. I say, I'm going to go to the Google. <laughs> oh, Dad. <laughs> but, I'll, you know, I'll go Google and, you know, pull up more information about this and this. And it's, it's amazing what starts to happen when you, you know, you just take that. And you look back over a four to six week period. And it's like, my goodness. Well, one of the things that I found interesting when I wrote, I did not plan that. <clears throat> People would ask, how long did it take to do that? And I said, well, the first page took 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the book took about four months. Right. But one of the things is to break routines. Mm -hmm. During the success portion of our lives, 
we got into routines. We got into schedules. Our bodies were into habits. Our timing was into habits. The only way that I knew that I could focus on doing that was to get up at four in the morning. Yeah. And write from four to six or four to seven. Whatever amount of time I had where it was dead quiet. For me, that worked. For someone else, if you're a night person, dedicate the night to do something. But to go to a different place that breaks a routine, gives you the solitude that you need, and then just sit and listen and ask yourself the questions. Help me understand why I'm feeling this way. Right. Help me understand what it is I like. What can I do today to make someone else's life different? Right. And then once you start coming up with a central theme, and it doesn't happen overnight, it could, there's a six to eight month decompression time between the time that you leave your job and when you actually are in a mood to start doing some of this stuff. Right. You know, it was so interesting. I thought when, when I retired, I, I think I'm going to go to St. Thomas and I'd been there in the corporate world. I said, that's a great, and I'm just going to go lay in the sun, let the Caribbean sun just, you know, soak all the corporate world out of me. <laughs> and I thought I'll be, you know, deprogrammed in, in, a, in about 60 days. That was about six months. And I was still kind of struggling with getting out of that routine and stuff. And I wasn't as, uh, I wasn't quite doing the things I wanted to do, but I realized I had time to work on it. Well, Chuck, we've got about three minutes left on today's program. Okay. What do you want to leave the people with on this first show of what to look forward to? What the purpose of the show, the passion that you have behind it, so that they know that there's a way to have a much better retirement and not that we're focusing on the financial or the estate planning, but on your time planning Right. when you're going to have an adventure of unstructured time. Right. It, it takes a little bit to, to figure out that sense of purpose and, and what it is. And that's, I will admit, that's not easy. And so if you take the time to work on that, that will help you find your passion. It'll help you uh, understand the direction you're going, line up the adventures you want to take with that passion, and then ignite your activity and go, you start to understand that. It changes your whole perspective on retirement. It really does. So, you know, the adventures with unstructured time, I think, will be awesome for you. And that comes from having gone through this process, researching the process, putting it down on paper, writing a book, writing a workbook people can use to do this, and to help others to make this successful transition. Because how many, how many millions of baby boomers are going to, in the next 10 years, face uh, this situation? About 73 to 78 million. 73 million people are going to be facing the same situation of coming out of a very structured environment into an unstructured environment where they can have the opportunity to become significant in someone else's life. Correct. That's an amazing journey. That is. It is an amazing journey. And it's doable. That's the thing. It's, it, it, my whole goal, I didn't want to change the world. I figured if I could help one person a day, I'd be doing something good. Well, you never know what happens when you help one person a day. Because that one person might change someone else's life that then changes a whole group of people's lives that changes an entire world. Yeah, it's so true. Chuck, what a, what a fantastic time. It's, I've enjoyed it. I had it. a lot of fun being here with you. 
I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully being a part of a few of your future shows that will be aired Mondays at 11 a.m. on 21.6 The Net. And you can get this station either by going to our website, 216thenet.com, or going to Google or Apple App Store and downloading 21.6 The Net app and listen on your mobile device. We ask you to come back. Find out what your next adventure will be when you have the adventure of unstructured time. Thanks for coming along. 